You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt McGacky, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Sarp Kesky of Bipolar Architecture. There's this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello again, and welcome back to Fly in the Call, Candid Conversations on Music. I'm super excited about today's guest because it was my third time interviewing Barty Strange, and it's been amazing to see how far he's come in the last few years. Barty's recently released his first EP under the name Barty Strange, Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy. This release serves as a tribute to his favorite band, The National, and finds him doing fully fleshed out alternative versions of their songs, rather than simply covering him. You'll hear us talk all about the process and inspiration behind the EP, redefining and reinventing yourself, and so much more. Enjoy. With the uh, Haley Williams and Ryan Reynolds shout out, who's going to be the uh, celebrity that completes the trifecta for you? <laughs> oh my God. Yo, that was, that's crazy. I was like, yo. <laughs> it was really cool. I was really surprised by that. I thought that was really cool that he liked it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's so random too. Like, it really surprised me, the Ryan Reynolds thing, because like, Haley, like, he basically asked her to like listen to it and then. <laughs> Which, it was crazy how instantaneous that happened too. But. Yeah, I was shocked by that. Mm-hmm. Like your your bio talks about how um, you're like born in England and grew up like kind of throughout Europe and the United States, but I haven't really like seen you talk much about that. So I'm curious, like, what kind of like was your pre Oklahoma life like? Yeah, I mean, I moved a lot. Uh, my mom is a singer, and um, she was singing there, and my dad is a military, so um, he was in the Air Force and he was based. Um, RAF Bent Waters. I'm saying the the base because I feel like every once in a while a random person is like, "Holy shit!" My dad was also stationed in Italy, <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm like fine, someone knows." Yeah, so that's where he was stationed. I was in between there and Lincoln Heath, and then uh, we moved to Bitburg, Germany, where my little brother was born. Um, and then we moved back to the UK and stayed for a while, and then Greenland and. Um, a couple other random stops in Europe quickly, and then we went to Alamogordo, New Mexico, Atwater, California, <laughs> and then um, Moore, Oklahoma, like, uh, and then uh, Mustang, Oklahoma. Yeah, and we stayed there. My dad got stationed there. My mom taught at the University of Oklahoma. But yeah, I mean, I was like a kid in Europe, so you know, I grew up and you know, with my mom a lot. She was a singer and traveled a little bit over there singing. She's an opera singer, so. Um, you know, sitting in a lot of opera houses and <laughs> churches and, you know, my dad was, you know, traveling in the military a lot. I think it was like desert storm time when I was, you know, in the late eighties when I was born. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, like, I, I don't know all the timeline stuff, but, you know, my dad was in the military and had to travel a lot, Kuwait and 
random, but I, a lot of people that I like grew up with, I still like am in touch with. And, you know, it was kind of a cool way to find music. Like, you know, I, I felt like I always had like a weird influx. Like I, I'd get like periodic, like dumps of music because mm-hmm. we'd be moving, you know, my parents were, my mom's like was super religious and like we were mostly in church and she wasn't really into secular music, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I got all of that stuff like through people in school and it was, you know, pretty random schools you could imagine like in military type environments and everyone's kind of from everywhere. So you get pieces of everything. And then, you know, when I moved to Oklahoma, I just kind of had like a really weird frame of reference, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> you know, of like what was normal and what wasn't and mm-hmm. what was cool to listen to and what wasn't. And so then I met like country music and, um, you know, stuff like that. So sorry, I've, I've just been like talking for a while, but no, I mean, it's super interesting. Like what, so what kind of, I mean, I know you mentioned it was like kind of like a plethora of stuff, but like what kind of was it that hit you the most, like in those pre like country and like finding like the hardcore scene in Oklahoma days? I mean, honestly, I was a kid. So, you know, I'm like eight, nine, ten. you know, mm-hmm. like, and honestly, like, uh, this is what Kirk Franklin, <laughs> like church music, you know, like I grew up listening to like gospel music all the mm-hmm. time, you know, gospel music and like soul music and, and things that my parents listened to. That was probably my main influences mm-hmm. for, you know, my young life. And like my dad, my dad is like a big audio file music nerd. Like he definitely would, if, if this is like a deep cut joke that only like random, random people will get, but like, if you ask my dad where he's from, he says, oh, I'm, Truff, I'm from Truff Almador, which is like where George Clinton says he's from in, uh, in Parliament, <laughs> you know, probably song. So my dad's like really into funk, really into like the beginnings of pop music. Um, and he collects a lot of records. And um, when he was in the military in Japan, he collected a lot of like hi-fi, like recording and like listening, like, you know, like audio equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, like headphones and speakers and all this kind of stuff. So uh, he was always playing interesting things. And, I, you know, so I would say like between like a lot of gospel music and then like all of the funk that my dad was playing and Erica Badu, my dad's a huge Erica Badu. Fan, so mm-hmm. uh, Sade, like all that like smooth jazz 90s wave stuff, um, mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of it. And then I had friends that I was meeting who were into like Scream and Burial and um craft work and like <laughs> you know so it was like like a lot of like housey stuff like um beat driven stuff and then like a whole other side of like rhythmic music right i mean with like the gospel stuff and um you know funk that my dad was bringing in so that was kind of like before i was like oh i want to scream in a hardcore band <laughs> definitely like yo i want i want to like be a singer in a church like kirk franklin Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you you mentioned like your dad being into like the hi-fi equipment and stuff. Um, when was it that like the? I mean, I've heard you. I feel like I've heard you say more often than you're a musician. Say that you're a producer. Like, when was it that that kind of like engineering type stuff came in? And um, like, was your dad being into like that equipment part of what influenced you towards that? I think so. Like, I think like if you ever meet my dad or if anyone meets my dad, he's like definitely a tinkerer, right? So like. He's not like a, he's never like recorded bands or anything like that, but he loves getting like old Denon like record players and fixing them. <laughs> like that's kind of something my dad would do, right? Or, and he's like really into cars. And I think that like, like in taking them apart and putting them back together. And I think that's kind of how I got into gear, 
And like, you know, when I started like playing guitars, it's like how guitars worked. And like, I was like, what else can I put a pickup on? Like what else, you know, how can I work? How can I create more sounds? And I think I've always just kind of been into sound from like a, how does it, how do you make it like actually physically, like how does it work <laughs> kind of. And, um, and so that's kind of, I think my dad definitely had that like kind of influence on me, but I started getting into that probably like, like I feel like later than a lot of people. Cause like I, you know, I was always playing music and singing it, but I never was writing songs for anyone or anything, but you know, in like high school, I started like, you know, recording my friend's bands and we did like a little recording of our band and, I was really into like microphones and I tried to get a little collection of them. I had a bunch of really horrible microphones and <laughs> um, you know, we did a lot of stuff on like little um, Porta studios, like little tape decks <laughs> and it was cool. Um, you know, that was kind of like my first experience doing it. And then as I got into like college, I got like FL studio and I was like, Oh, I mean, I just like, you know, I, I made a lot of beats like my friend Marvel Alexander. He, he goes by boss man now. He's, he's a guy that lives in LA and produces like incredible music. Um, but like, you know, he was like one of my like first like production friend people who was like, I feel like the best way you get good at guitar is to have a friend who's really good at guitar <laughs> and you're going to get good. And I feel <laughs> the same with like producing and engineering. Like if you have friends around you who are good at it and you get good really fast. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. And mm-hmm. um, has it made it like, easier or harder for you to kind of like let the reins go when you're in the studio or like when it comes to like the mixing and mastering and stuff? Oh yeah. I'm not precious with it to be honest. Like I love collaborating. I rarely write by myself. Um, so, you know, when people are, you know, when it comes time for me to hand a mix over, I'm like, please get it out of here. Like <laughs> get this out of my face. Cause I hate the song already. I can't tell if it's good. Like, you know, someone please validate this, this music. yeah and um uh like one of the originals on um say goodbye to pretty boy is going going which was you know originally released on like the martins and the strange fruit um ep uh Mm -hmm. what was it that kind of like made you revisit that song especially considering you said like you kind of like get to the point where you're like fed up with songs yo so like that song is just i love that song and even the recording that's up now i'm like God, I want to re-record it. Like, <laughs> there are like things in the song that I'm like, it's great, it's totally fine, and I can't wait to hit to do it again. Like, um, in the I think so. Three years ago, I played a show at St. Vitus in D- in in New York um, with an all black orchestra of of kids aged from like I think um, like eighth grade to like high school. I wish I could remember the nonprofit, um, but Zach Fisher from Good Looking Friends like helped set it up, and Shelly, the saxophone player in his band, um, um, they arranged like an orchestral arrangement around that song, and we recorded it, or not recorded it, but we played it live. Mm-hmm. And when we played it live. I was like, oh my god, I have to re-record this song, <laughs> <laughs> like because I was like, this sounds so much cooler than just the acoustic version, and um, you know. And then after like Kanye West like did like the life of Pablo and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like it's cool to have like multiple versions of a song exist. Mm-hmm, like sure. why not? Like I'll just like redo it in a couple years. And <laughs> this was that. Yeah. So, you know, so I was happy to be able to redo, redo it again. And I really want to record like an orchestral arrangement of it pretty bad. So please, please fates, let it happen. 
yeah that would be i'm sure that'd be awesome i've been uh like getting really into like fish and the grateful dead lately for some reason um and like there was like a run of shows in the 90s where fish did like a bunch of shows with uh like a horn section it's like it's so interesting to see like just how different the songs can be yeah yeah totally and that's like the fun part right like i feel like there's a lot of pressure on artists to release a lot of music these days and i think a lot of people think that the way to do that is to release a lot of new things and like you know we put out a record let's put out another record next year but i'm kind of into the idea of like put out like an acoustic version of the record, put out a record of it with strings, like put out a record of it with someone else singing everything. Like this like little EP with the national, like really opened my eyes to like how many forms a song can take and how many stories like a singular song can take, like just depending on who's delivering the message. Like it's really interesting. I would love to see that, you know, drug yeah. out, you know, investigated more. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. cool. For sure. Yeah. And um, well, yeah, I'm curious, like, did the idea for the EP start to come together, like, before you were talking to Brassland? Or was that kind of like, as the discussions were happening? Yeah, that was, it was before um, I met Brassland. Um, you know, like, the idea of it, it, it all happened organically. Like I, me and my buddy Carter used to always kind of joke around. Also, Carter plays drums in the band. <laughs> um, but you know, we've used to always joke around about like, oh, like, we should cover some national songs. And I was like, though, like, it's impossible. The songs are all <laughs> good. They can't be touched by anyone. And and, and, and he was like, think about it. <laughs> we should do it. <laughs> and it's, you know, just, like, over the course of our friendship, I've known him for five years. Like, like he's always kind of brought it up. And then, like, my, my partner, Kaylee, like, she was like, yo, like, you should think about doing some more covers. And I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't really like doing covers. Um, and then... I went to um, a show, a national show here in DC and, you know, they were playing with Courtney Barnett and I was like, Oh, this is amazing. Like I got to see this show. I went, it was an amazing show. They both killed it. The national is like always at their best. And, and I just remember looking out in the room and being like, damn, I haven't in a long time. Like when like there's like 600 people in a room and all of them are white. And I was like, this is DC, like, you know, one of the blackest cities still, you know, even though it's gentrifying, one of the most black cities in the country. And I was just like, it's so wild that in like Southeast DC right now, like there's a a room of white people (laughs) bumping the national. There's no black people here. I was just like, how does that happen? You know, and just, you know, no knock on the national or Courtney Barnett or anyone like, you know, this is not even about them at this point, you know, now my mind went on to kind of thinking about like, how does like this happen? Like within the industry, like why aren't there more bands that are making music like the national, but that are, you know, not all white. Like Mm -hmm. how does that, how does it, after all, like all of the contributions that, you know, non-white people have made to the genre indie music or whatever you would expect to see more of them at that level, Mm -hmm. you know? And, I, and that's kind of like where the idea of the project came. And um, I was like, I would like to kind of hit these songs, but bring like my background to them to like, you know, maybe shine a new light on the songs. Um, and also kind of as like a home, like a homage to like how much I love the nationals, my favorite band. So that's kind of like how the idea came together. And I pitched it to my friend, Blake, who is on Brassland records is um, a band is called Fusilier. And um, he said, oh, you, you should meet Alec. And 
you know, run this idea by him and see what he thinks. And, you know, if he hates it, you can always just do it anyways. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I guess you're right. Like you can just cover anything. And, uh, but I, I didn't feel comfortable doing it. I I wanted to do it with, I wanted the coastline of the the, the national, you know, I was Mm -hmm. like, you know, I want them to see it. And, you know, I met up with Alec. We, we just talked about it and he's asked me, he was like, you know, send me a song or two. And, um, I sent him a few and he liked them and it just kind of moved organically from there. The band liked it, you know, it, it just worked out. Um, yeah. Mm. It just worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that is really awesome, especially because of like how, like how much of yourself you put into the covers, like to the point where they're almost not even covers anymore. So it's like, especially cool to know that like you kind of like have their blessing for it. Yeah, I, I'm very thankful for it, and shout out to them. I really appreciate. It. Yeah, and I, I read that like part of the process for um, you know like reenvisioning these songs was kind of like finding you know the one or two elements that you like really love about the song, kind of like expanding them into the whole thing. Um, like, can you tell me a little bit more about that, and kind of like you know which ones were kind of like easier for you, and which ones were more challenging? Yeah, sure. So. Um, okay. Yes. Let's start with like, I'll start with about today. That's the first song on the, um, and probably my favorite. Um, and I think it's also the one you can most clearly see the link. Mm-hmm. So on, on the first, um, version, the original, uh, which is on cherry tree, which was like a, a, a short EP. They, um, um, the song has a rhythm that is just, I mean, it's like a lot of Devendorf's drumming, it doesn't really change throughout the entire song. And I've always kind of likened his drumming to like a drum machine. Like it's just like super in pocket, super tight rhythms, no fat, no fills. If there's a change, it's like switching from like the hi-hat to the ride. Like that's the change. But when the change comes, like the whole song shifts and you feel it, right? It's like very deliberate drumming. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to mimic that in the song by like just making it a drum machine <laughs> you know just being like let's have a drum machine and, and you know we triggered it to do something that was like very like housey and like on the backbeat which mm-hmm. i feel like is kind of um symptomatic of a lot of his playing where it's like he's got like really driving you know drum parts that almost remind me of like you know it's it's you know really powerful deliberate drums and so i wanted to kind of mimic that in the song and i i think that i feel like that's the one we accomplished it like the most cleanly like tying the link to like a particular element of the songs Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah um, that's one and then there were other ones that were like way more challenging and we just went in completely different directions with like um i don't know all the wine um no lemon world for example (laughs) like Mm -hmm. lemon world we just instead of tying it to the sonic elements of the original song i started thinking like more thematically and i thought okay like how can we like just like make this song completely opposite and like still maintain like the continuity i guess and so like graham who plays keys in the band and everything else like graham plays keys <laughs> and plays bass and like he's a synth player and he's a freakish guitar player really cool guy too beginning of the song one's playing in 15 one's playing in 16 and the rhythm section is also alternating between 16 and 15 opposite so it's all inverted and they stay like that and they meet up really randomly throughout the song and that is like it's like stupid and like 
way too complex to ever be noticed. <laughs> but it's like we wrote that part because in a band called Clogs, which I think like Aaron and um, Bryce Desner were in, um, they used they they write in all these wild time signatures where like the guitars are in seven and the drums are in four and da 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 and like it all meets and we kind of wanted to signal like to national deep cut fans like yo like we know that we know the shit we know, <laughs> we know and and like even though the song sounds nothing like the original I hope that you realize that this is that shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, so like we try to do stuff like that too, like little Easter eggs, I guess. <laughs> but I don't know. We're probably the only people who will ever catch them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really cool though too. Like, you know how he said, you know, how they like meet at specific times or like, um, I think, you know, that's something you can sense as a listener, even if you don't know exactly what's going on. It's like you, you feel that kind of like, and it, it like makes for a little special moment with it. Great. I hope so. Great. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, other than being, you know, sonically different, um, a lot of the lyrics kind of feel like they take on a new meaning with you kind of like singing them, um, especially on tracks like uh, Mr. November or Lemon World. Uh, was, was that something you kind of like anticipated or had in mind going into it? Or did it kind of like just happen during the process? It totally happened during the process. Like Lemon World, when I that song, I, I had no idea where, how we were going to make that song work. Um, and like, I, I mean, it, it just like totally morphed in meaning to me. Like, um, for example, the original song, I've always taken it to me. And Matt is dealing with feelings about feeling like he's broke as fuck living in Brooklyn. Like all of these other people around him are doing well. And he's like working, you know, he's like struggling and to get by. Um, but when I read the lyrics and like started singing it, I was like, yo, I remember struggling in Brooklyn, but like, it's, it feels different. Like I'm like looking at all of my friends, you know, like I'm not a rich kid in Brooklyn. I wasn't, you know, like, and most of the people I knew in Brooklyn, like came from like some, they, there was some money somewhere. So they were living like way more comfortable <laughs> than me. <laughs> and like definitely traveling, getting married, buying houses, like, dogs i'm like how are you buying a house in crown heights like who who can like how how does this happen you're 28 years old you know you know i was like how do you do this um and i'm like damn like you and your sister live in a lemon world and i want to stay in and die you know like i'm sick of going outside and seeing all of this around me it just reminds me that i'm never gonna have this you know like that shit was eating at me for years when I was living in Brooklyn. It's at me now here in DC, you know, and that song, as I sang it and worked it, I was like, yo, like, I feel this. Yeah. Like I, I remember this feeling, you know, and um, I was, I hope, and I hope we were able to like bring that like energy to the song in a, in a new way, you know, um, mm -hmm. and that was kind of a, a big thing. And same with like Mr. November, um, you know, and all the wine, there's, you know, there's a line in all the wine, which like, you know, when I hear it now, when I hear Matt sing it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did this like get out? But there's a part where he's like, I'm a birthday candle in a circle of black girls. God is on my side. Right. Yeah. And it's like, regardless of the intention of the lyric, just a weird lyric. Yeah. Right. Like, it's like, whoa. <laughs> like, this is a white guy. So what is he, what is that? You know, like there's so many ways that could be taken wrong. It might not have been meant the best way, you know, like who knows the intent of that lyric or what it meant. Um, but, you know, to like re-sing that and it almost feel like a safer, a safe 
a safe thing to say. I was like, this is interesting. Like, you know, that this, these, these lines can be construed so differently just based on who's saying it, you know, mm-hmm. it's a interesting little thing to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or like on, um, on Mr. November, I think it is, but he like references like the great white hope. Um, yeah. That was one that like stood out to me too, because there's been like a couple other songs that have like referenced it before. So I've kind of like, you know, found out, you know, like the meaning behind it. Um, how was like and that song specifically like you kind of like turning it almost into like more anthemic than it was originally like can you tell me about that a little bit yeah um that song mr november is one of my favorites ever from the national and like i chose it like the idea of mr november like it kind of like always stood out to me because i was like you know i i, I mean i i don't know if this is like completely accurate but I feel like Mr. November, it's like the calendar model. Like, you know, this is Mr. November, the most beautiful man in the United, it's the Western world, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, to think that like, that could be someone like me or someone that just isn't like a white, a really like good average looking white guy or whatever. (laughs) Like, it's like a really cool idea to like, be like, yo, I'm the new blood. I'm the great white hope. You know, like it's me, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's cool to imagine that world <laughs> um, and you know music you can make it any world you want right so like that's like kind of why i wanted to choose that and yeah totally i hope that when people hear that and realize that i'm singing it that they like kind of get that you know i hope they they see that mm-hmm. for sure yeah and i mean say goodbye to pretty boy as a whole is kind of like a re reintroduction to you as a solo artist after you know Bartiz and the strange fruit and then um, like last year within the cab uh, so like it feels like you kind of like are constantly in this process of like reinventing yourself um, is that can you just like tell me about that is that something that you are doing intentionally yeah and I don't yeah it's interesting <laughs> this is a great question so I guess I don't think of it as reinventing myself I think of it as like refining mm-hmm. like getting more closer to what I want and like being able to see more clearly what I want to say, right? It's like, um, I think of kind of like, I always want to, I feel like in, in music and in the way that I'm creating stuff, I, I'm always trying to find ways to like be more clear, right? Mm-hmm. And that's also like a thing that I love about The National is like how deliberate you can tell they are with their their art, you can see planned out and 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 you you understand the intentionality behind it and i and i strive for that like with what i make and with who i'm trying to tell people i am right Mm -hmm. and i felt like you know kind of changing my name and honestly like making it shorter is like it's like a part of like refining it and Mm -hmm. you know like the music i'm making um you know i started you know the last project was like like heavy folk influence um, you know, and, and that was a really cool project, but I didn't think that it was like the best reflection of everything that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like let's use in a cab to kind of like shift this like whole body of work that I want to do and just like kind of better position it, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for like everyone to, to, to hear. So, you know, it was like, 
yeah, I just kind of wanted to refine it a, a little bit, I guess. So yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, going off that, um, I mean, I know last year, I think it was in the billboard piece uh, for In a Cab, actually, I revisited it today and you mentioned like 30 songs written, you recorded like more than 20 of them. And then you had, I think actually in the billboard interview, you like mentioned that you had just received the mixes for, you know, the 14 of them that were going to be on the album, um, which obviously Mm -hmm. hasn't come out yet and is due out at some point, hopefully later this year. But I'm curious, like, has it sounded like that at that time was kind of like, almost set in stone but has it been has it been changed since then has it kind of stayed the same or been like broken down or been reimagined well been refined (laughs) (laughs) i was like hmm do all these songs need to be on there who knows let's take one or two off Uh, and i literally (laughs) god damn i i literally you know i've been writing since you know i recorded that record and i've like i'm ready to you know start recording some more and I've recorded a few and I'm like, Hey, let's throw these on the record. But everyone is saying, don't do it. Like just (laughs) let it ride. And I think they're right. Like um, I want that record to be a snapshot of like who I was at that time. And it's going to be totally, it's, I mean, like, it's fine. Like, damn people's records sit for so long before they go out. Sometimes it's just kind of a part of it. So Mm -hmm. I'm learning that now. I didn't understand that last year. I mean, you. I saw like in a couple different interviews that kind of what really made the national kind of like click for you was seeing them live and how um, different they sounded on the record and almost had like the you know energy and feel of like a hardcore band. Um, like, can you tell me a little bit more about that first experience seeing them live? Yeah, sure. Um, I went with my friend Grant, um, who was a big national fan that I grew up near in Oklahoma, a good buddy of mine. Um, he had introduced me to the band. And, you know, we went to see them. I think they were playing in like Tulsa or Denton, Texas. It's, it's either Tulsa or Denton, Texas. I can't remember. Um, but I think it's Tulsa. Um, we went to see them. And like, I remember being like, damn, like, they don't sound anything like the record. This is cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, because at the time, like I was like playing in hardcore bands and all I listened to was like hardcore shit and like Bonavere. Like that was like my freshman year of college in a weird, you know, weird freshman, sophomore year of college. Um, <laughs> And yeah, like they just totally crushed and there wasn't even that many people there. Like um, it was, it was an empty room. It was like half full. And like, I, I remember people being like, totally like some people weren't, didn't love that. They didn't sound like the record. (laughs) I, on the other hand was like, you can do this. Like you can make a record and then like, just perform it however you want, like have fun with it. I don't think that idea had ever clicked in my brain before mm-hmm. the way that you can like, you know, like, like kind of like what we were talking about earlier, like diving deeper into your songs, you know, like you write a song, you present it one way, present it another way. Who cares? Like you wrote the song, do whatever you want. And like that idea of like doing whatever you want, I just hadn't really thought you could do that like with music. And that was like a definitely like a shift in my like life, (laughs) not just in like music. I was like, Oh shit. I want to do whatever I want. (laughs) Like like, just like, I want to be able to present it how I want. I want to tell the story how I want. Boom, boom. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were some other artists that, you know, bolstered and like pushed that idea forward, but seeing them live was like a critical moment for sure. For me, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, for sure. And I just never seen a band that, you know, like I said, deliberate, clear, like, they just were so, they were perfect. And I'd never seen anything like that before. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when, when I saw you last year, there was kind of like more of a raw punk energy to like the live show than the record stuff that you'd released at the time. Is that kind of something you're trying to channel as well with, or is the, like, how's the new album going to compare to, you know, with the live show? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I like doing things um, just different, you know, all sorts of ways. And I think that was like the cool thing about the national record is like, um, we got to really investigate this, like, or build out some sounds that I've just always wanted to play with. Um, and like make songs around so it was like a cool experimental moment um like period um and with this next record like you know i don't know like i i'm pretty i'm energetic you know i like to have a good time on stage i don't know like i guess people would say that like i i'm kind of punk e um but i i came up playing in hardcore bands and you know church and and singing in church so it's like a that is the combo. <laughs> I guess no matter what I do, I feel like I'm always like intense. But um, yeah, and I'm you know, I like to have a good time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I mean that that combo is definitely very like uniquely you in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> Hardcore church. <laughs> uh, no, that's hilarious. Yeah, that's I guess that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, and then I also, like, I mean, we've been talking about, like, kind of the process of you, um, like, refining yourself and stuff, and I feel like the title of the EP, like, Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy, kind of plays into that, interestingly, and also the fact that it's, you know, it's a national lyric, but not from one of the songs that you covered. Like, what does, what made you choose that title? What does that kind of mean to you? Well, I mean, that's kind of what it meant to me. Um, I, like... So, you know, my last project was called, um, God, Magic Boy. Um, the yeah. first, um, you know, Bartiz and the Strange Fruit record. Um, and, you know, I kind of wanted to reference that a little bit for people who knew me um, like, to kind of signify like a shift away from that, you know, from that stuff to this new work that I'll be putting out. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like, you know, I thought that, it kind of also to your point and thanks for noticing kind of also falls into what I'm trying to do with like, you know, further refining um, the type of music I want to make. Um, and I wanted to like, you know, there were other songs I wanted to um, cover <laughs> <laughs> and that we did cover that we didn't really get to um, that we're not going to put out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I took say goodbye to pretty boy um, because I wanted to cover that song. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like, so in the process of when you were like initially trying to start to cover that song, was that one of the ones that also like, did that lyric change for you, the meaning? Um, yeah. I mean, I just thought that line always was, it was always important to me. Like the song, first of all, it's from the song Murder Me Rachel, which is like a dope song by The National, one of my favorites. And they've performed it multiple different ways recorded it multiple different ways. I think it's on three of their records and it's, oh, wow. it changes on each one. Um, and that's always like been kind of cool to me, like kind of to this point of refinement and being deliberate and like also not being afraid to just do whatever you want and, you know, put it out three different times, like reintroduce the song, do whatever you want with it, you know? And um, I've always loved that. Um, and I really do believe that like my pathway to kind of like this record and my next record and whatever else I do, there's been a lot of refinement and, trying things again and again and putting myself out there in different ways and getting closer to like who I actually am. And 
um, I feel like that's like a life journey thing I've been on for so long. Um, like one thing that's always been kind of like drag, a drag about like moving a lot or being like the only black person in a place forever or anything like that. Things that make you feel alone and kind of like no one gets you. Um, you, you, you learn to shape shift and kind of just fit wherever you move. And I think that's like a cool talent that or thing you can pick up, but it's also makes you really lonely. And I felt like um, as many people I was able to meet and friends I was able to gain, I, no one ever really knew me because I was always changing to fit thought I should be or what I thought I needed to be to fit in. Mm-hmm. And so like this record and the music I'm, I've been a part of me stepping into myself and r- realizing like, Oh, like, this is who I am and this is, and I should, be, you know, be able to kind of go after these things and not feel limited by a genre or limited by, you know, what people think I should be. Like if I can make beats and play country music and sing and scream and play hardcore stuff, like let's just do all of it. <laughs> and that's kind of like why I decided to kind of say goodbye to trying to be the pretty boy, like trying to fit in, you know, trying to, you know, be what people think I should be. Um, and, you know, and I think that's kind of also why that title was chosen. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's my my full answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's awesome and makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, yeah. And I also, like, I'm a big cover art person because, or partially because, I, like, I'm super into vinyl and stuff. And um, I'm definitely going to be picking up the EP on that. But um, I feel like the, um, like, the artwork for the EP is, like, so... It's like really, I, I love the way that's kind of like minimalistic, but also, you know, like for me, like the brush release and stuff, like the the symbolism behind it um, with like the ripped up sticker and the, the Pan-African flag. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, like what your kind of thoughts were going into it and how it was created? Yeah, sure. Um, the person that did it is my friend Gabby. Um, she's really talented. Um, I was really happy to work with her on it. Um, but she, um, you know, we shot like a few ideas back and forth and, you know, I was having a, I'm, I'm really bad at like visual, um, and like anything just never, I, I am not good at expressing complex things in a visual way. Just not. And I, I was talking through like some of the ideas of the record and we drew up a few mock-ups. And then I was in Atlanta recently, or like recently as like a year ago, <laughs> and I met this guy named Kevin Roger Sipp, who works at a number of museums across Atlanta, but he's a black guy. Um, and he started talking about like the early 90s in Atlanta and the late 80s and how he was playing in hardcore bands. And I was like, whoa, tell me about this. Then he was like, well, you know, it all started with Black Dot, Bad, Bad Brains. You're from DC, you know them. And I was like, yeah, I know Bad Brains, but I don't know this record, The Black Dot. And he, he like when he was like, yo, so the record came out and like it was like not like sold well and then it was re-released and blah, blah. It's like just like kind of like a lost record, but became really influential in the hardcore scene in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And I and I, he like, like sent it to me. He was like, yo, listen to it. Like you should, you should listen to this record. And I was like, oh shit, I got to like reference this. And the that record cover is just a big black dot, right? And so... Mm-hmm. I was like, perfect. This like totally illustrates this idea of like, you know, black people in a way. And then like it's frayed because it looks like they're trying to be torn off of this like white background. 
mm-hmm. or like the larger scene. Um, and I was like, okay, this is like a good way to illustrate that idea, especially because of how influential they've been like in my life and in the larger musical space. And that's kind mm-hmm. of like the, what we're trying to say with the record. And then like the Pan-African flag, how, like, what is like the, what is a national like in America? Like, you know, I'm, I'm a black national, you know, like what is, what does it mean to, you know, kind of like pick apart that idea a little bit. And mm-hmm. you no, know, so I just wanted to reference that. And, um, you know, <laughs> it's so funny. Like I felt like so many weird feelings about staying and like people kept saying this to me, like no names will be named, but they were like, how do we make sure people know that you're black? Like, how do we do it if they don't see your face on the cover of the record? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I put the Pan-African flag on the record. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully <laughs> hopefully hopefully they see it and they say a, a black person did this if not we have deeper issue i don't know i don't know we lost that person we've lost that person but anyways yeah you know we really tried to make the ideas like um you know consistent throughout and gabby like totally nailed, nailed it like shout out to her in a big big way mm-hmm. yeah and um you know, I always kind of like to end episodes by asking for either just like, you know, something either like a piece of advice or, you know, something you've been like kind of co- contemplating lately that you would um, just kind of like to share with the audience, uh, whether it's about like music specifically or, you know, life as a whole. Hmm. About music or about life. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> well, first off, like, I want to say like, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, like it's been cool to talk to you. And the artist that did the cover, her name is Gabby Hastings. I just didn't want to leave her last name out. Um, and I guess, I don't know, like something to leave people with. I don't know. Like I've spent, I've like, I've done like a lot of shit in my life. Like I've been lucky to try a lot of things. Like my, like I grew up in a lot of places and I've got to meet a lot of people and have friendships and relationships with people that I never thought I would meet because of music and like, because of like the little communities that it's created. And I'm really thankful for like the people who helped me make this record and my next record and the, you know, the people I've I've met. And I, I think I, it's important for anyone that's creating things to remember that like, even if you have good ideas or even if you think you've got like hot stuff, like the, the importance of having, like people around you who are talented and who believe in you. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that I don't think I ever really understood the power of until really like the last year, like having people that are like, Oh, we're going to like invest time in like helping you be great at this and mm-hmm. like how important it is to invest in those relationships. And, and, you know, they really do make all the difference. You know, when, it really comes like when, like when it really counts. So like, you know, never underestimate the importance of building community, like as you build your music, because mm-hmm. that's really what's going to help you. And, you know, I say that as someone who is like not popular or famous or anything, but like, <laughs> I see like how the people I've been there for in the past are like stepping up for me and, you know, helping more people hear my stuff. And that really is like, how everything works so yeah pull you know lift people up lift up the people around you because you know you never know who's going to do stuff and if one person makes it everybody makes it right Mm -hmm. so gotta be there for each other Mm -hmm. and now you know barty strange 
If you weren't already familiar with him and or The National, Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy is a great chance to hop on. I personally had never listened to The National before, and this was a very cool introduction to some of their music. If you like what you hear, keep giving it your streams. Buy it on Bandcamp or pre-order the vinyl. Ortiz is in the same boat as so many other musicians who have had their years turned upside down due to COVID and tour cancellations, so anything you can do to help will be greatly appreciated. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, to Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FindTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FindTheCallPod at gmail.com. Stay happy and healthy, y'all. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel... They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.